Well, here we are back in Zechariah again. Uh, we're picking up chapters 8 through 14. we got a full house with us today. Johnny's back with us after his uh, hiatus. And Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Dave, of course, is uh, with us, and uh, Ben and Lenny. And so we've been reading uh, Zechariah 8 through, what did I say, 14? 14. So anything stand out to you guys as you've been reading? I, and personally, I'm just going to put my two cents in. I feel like this book has been like rear loaded in the sense that I mean the the first the first seven chapters yeah. were good, but I don't know. I feel like this last seven is like really jam packed with stuff. But I'm gonna open it up, see what stood out to you guys, and we'll take it from there. Well, in chapter eight, verse four, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says: Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at you know at play. And for whatever reason, I couldn't pass that verse because I don't know if you guys have been, you know, like paying attention to news for the last couple of years, but people are getting sucker punched on like, mm. on literally like walking on the side of like, on, on oh, sidewalks. Like literally sucker punched. Yeah. Literally, yeah, 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 literally. Yeah. Like, TikTok challenge. Yeah, yeah just, just you're, you're walking, an elderly person, doesn't matter who you are, and all of a sudden just lights out. Yeah, somebody come Bad idea, man. That's right? a bad and idea. Right? And I'm like, what? So you need to get, someone's going to get shot. People will be able to play and people will be able to walk and be at peace. You know how many times I'll sit and, and talk with, a, you know, an, an older person and I'm like, you know, can I, can I have some wisdom? You know, share me some, give me some wisdom on how I can love my wife or how I can do this, how I can do that. And they get so excited and they begin to tear up because for a long time, they can share something of their life because today's world is like, there's no, 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 no longer that interaction, that like conversation with somebody to be personal. Mm -hmm. And so when I see this, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I want that day to happen too. <laughs> but from how it's happening right now, it's, it's, it's not close. <laughs> That's something that hit me, uh, this morning going through this was right here at the end. 8.23. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army said. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch to the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, I, it says ten, and it ended up being twelve. But like I think this is like a reference to Jesus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, those yeah, I had uh, bracketed chapter eight, verse twenty to verses twenty to twenty-three, mm. and it, it stuck out in me because we're looking at what Zechariah is saying here. Is you're you're getting a clear, universalistic, if you will, or universal vision of the end of time right there. Um, God is uniting the the vision. As you read that, what you just read there, Ben, in, in starting with 20, uh, the vision that he has right there, that Zechariah has, with God speaking, it's all nations going to Jerusalem to acknowledge God's sovereignty, you know, God who unites all humankind. This is what, what is happening here. And the overarching theme, I was, I had an opportunity to do some meditation this morning, which I haven't done in a while, but it started to do it once a week just on my own, actually about an hour for an hour before I came here. And I don't know why Zachary came my mind. I was just thinking of a lot of different things. And I started to think of the overarching theme. And there's two that came to me. And one of them is what I'm talking about here, where Zechariah is talking about God uniting all humankind and God's sovereignty over all nations. And that's what one of the overarching themes is in this book, is Zechariah, like some of the other prophets that we've read, is saying, put away this nationalism uh, that the Jews had. It'd be like any of us when 
or anybody, a, a teacher says something new to you're my favorite student or, uh, you, you know, you're my favorite worker, you know, to a, an employer, to an employee. You know, I, I, I value of everybody else. And God did that to the Jewish nation of Israel. But these people took it to an extreme, as we have seen throughout these books. And, and they had this nationalistic view of everything that they were the only the chosen people, no matter what they did, how bad they acted, and all the bad things they did, and they even tried to emulate, as we saw, other countries in their bad ways, decadent ways, they still thought nationalistically that God was theirs and nobody else could be in. Well, here Zechariah again says, no, that's not the way it is. We have got to get rid of that, or at least God speaking through Zechariah is acknowledging God's sovereignty, but that everybody is welcome. And what you just read, Ben, that's what I started meditating on, that verse where all these, you know, all, everybody, all different nations are going to be welcome. They're going to come to Jerusalem. That's the chosen city of the chosen country. But all people are welcome. And we see that as we get into the New Testament. And we've alluded to this before with Paul. Paul went out and preached to the Gentiles, did he not? Right. He, he, he brought in all, all peoples. God was for everybody, and that is the overarching thing. The other one, and then I'll stop talking for a moment, the other one is, and hopefully some of you will expound on it, is, as we just mentioned, the Messiah. You know, the, the, the messianic message in this book is incredible. It's throughout the whole thing. Zechariah is talking about Jesus Christ. If you don't get it out of this book, you ain't going to get it anywhere. Yeah, that's some of my favorite uh, books in the Bible is the apocalyptic literature. And apocalypse obviously not meaning like, you know, end of the world, but meaning more like the unveiling or revealing, right? So whether it's Daniel, Zechariah, or we're talking about John or like, you know, Revelation— these are all books that are using very colorful illustrations, right? They're, it's definitely oracles. It's like visions, right? So it's very prophetic in nature. One of the interesting things that I haven't been here for a couple of weeks, so you're going to have to bear with me. I don't know what you guys have discussed or haven't discussed. But Everything. We've yeah. covered it all. All right, perfect. <laughs> it's Ben's Bible again, right? The, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, right. Guide to the, Bible, the yeah. ultimate guide. <laughs> there are uh, about 30 different Zacharias in the Old Testament alone. But this one is, in my opinion, the most profound one, right? Because why? Because of the messianic message that's in this apocalyptic literature, right? Which we haven't really stumbled across that stuff just yet, the visions. But I think it's very, very profound. This book alone, in the New Testament, it's referenced about 40 times. I don't know if you guys know that, but the New Testament authors, so it's obviously God speaking through the New Testament authors, right? So there's that uniform theme where inside the Bible it bounces back and forth between New and Old Testament. Um, in particular, I'm going to jump up to chapter 9, um, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Zechariah 9, 9. Mine's titled, The Coming King of Zion. You want to talk about that, to bounce off of what Dave just said, the messianic message here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hello, anybody? Yeah, New right. Testament, Jesus yeah. riding into right. town on a, on, on a right. donkey, not on a war horse. Right. Like what, it, it, this, this has to go back to Isaiah. Isaiah is an interesting book in the Old Testament because it's basically the Bible compressed into 66 chapters, which is also funny because the Bible is a collection of 66 books, if you will, right? And if you look at the first majority you know, books in Isaiah... It's this messianic king, this king that's going to free the Israelites from their oppression. He's going to, like, you know, break the shackles, their bondage, all this stuff. So the Jews are waiting for this almost like a great military or political leader. 
this great king. And then what do you see in the latter part of Isaiah is it's this suffering servant, Isaiah 53, right? This, this person who's actually going to be rejected by his people and be put to death, right? <clears throat> and the reason why I'm refer referencing um, Isaiah is because it's so important to look here that Jesus is not showing up in Zechariah on a war horse or a chariot, but he's coming on a humble colt, a humble little donkey, he's, which is a symbol of peace, right. which, is, which, which is definitely hearkening back to the latter portions of Isaiah, that it's going to be the sufferings. It's not going to be what you expect for a king. It's going to be the reverse of what it is that humans will think. My ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts, right? Even further than that, it's just funny, John, because I haven't. We're in, we're in chapter 9. You read verse 9. I, wanna, I highlighted 9 and 10. I, 10 in my book says, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I would destroy all weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. Your king will bring peace to the nations. Again, another reference. Yeah, who is the His, prince of peace? Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. These verses, to me, and I did a little examination of this, these verses, to me, in this particular chapter, are the centerpiece. If you read verses um, mm -hmm. 1 through 8, uh, the, these verses separate the, um, the, I put down the restoration of Israel, one through eight, if you read that, and then the restored people are 11 to 17. So nine and 10 are the linchpin. And what is the linchpin saying? The restored nation, the restored people, the messianic king, taking what you said, but taking it a step further, the messianic king, Jesus plays a central role in the drama of restoration. Yeah, it's, it's just so profound. Right there, right in the center, restoration is Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I think it was, Judah, maybe a couple of years ago, you did a sermon on what's the, it was like the statistical, mathematical probability of one person fulfilling all the things oh, that the Messiah right. should fulfill. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know the exact numbers, but it's astronomical. It's, not, yeah, astronomical. it's, like, it's like one yeah. Google or something yeah. like that. And this is definitely one of the things from the Old Testament right. that talks about <laughs> this Messiah coming. And then who rode into town on a donkey? With, there's multiple eyewitness accounts to Jesus, New right. Testament, riding into the city on a donkey, right. right? And of course, people greeted him with palms, right? Why? Because of Zechariah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is this is definitely such a, a crucial book in the Old Testament. And it's funny, too, because we're approaching the latter part of the Old Testament. Mm. But it's just, it's just so full of Jesus. And in my opinion, it does say Jesus. It says salvation. Righteous and having salvation is he. The name Jesus means savior or salvation. So, I mean, they, they might as well have just put the name Jesus in here, you know? Well, well again, in, as 10 says, and you said Prince of Peace, but 10 starts off, remove the battle chariots. I will remove the battle chariots, the war horses, destroy the weapons, and your king will bring peace to the nation. I know, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Pretty simple. For anybody to be <clears throat> Jewish and to not be a Messianic Jew, it baffles me because I, I think to myself, there's so much evidence for right. Jesus. Yeah. So it's either you have hardened your hearts to it or you're busy reading, like let's say, like the Talmud instead, which they revere as Holy Scripture, rather than reading the actual Tanakh, like the actual Hebrew Bible. You know. Well, and, and also the, there is this idea, this expectation that this peace that Jesus would bring or their Messiah would bring would be a national and political peace. Yeah. And so, 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 so they're, they're missing the forest for the trees because do we have national and political peace in our world now? No, it's far from it. Mm -hmm. But 
Has our king brought peace to the nations? Yes, absolutely. But it's a different kind of peace. It's not a peace that, that they were looking for. They were looking for this external peace where Jesus was bringing an internal peace, peace with God. World, right. Yeah, exactly. It's peace with God. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's an important uh, distinction there that I think can be easily missed if they're thinking that, well, we're still, we're still at war with the world, so we clearly have not received our Messiah yet. Uh, because all they were looking for was a political leader where Jesus, when he came in, he came in as a, as a Messiah. And, and if you think about it, and even like I reflect back even on what their perception of Messiah was pre uh, the birth of Jesus, like how anticlimactic and short-sighted would that be if it was simply a mortal man, right? Because I mean, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see these potentially great kings who come and then they die and all hell breaks loose, right? So it's like, what is the benefit of yet another mortal king coming in and bringing peace? I mean, as, as good as David was after David was, was Solomon and he kind of went a little bit astray, but he so built up the wealth. <laughs> and then and then after that, you go into all the, you know, all the, the, the different you know, um, kings and, you know, Ahaz and Ahab and, you know, uh, good and bad. You know, good and bad. I mean, it's like, seems like mostly bad. And, and, and so how short sighted it would be even in this day and age to say, there's someone who's going to come and bring peace to our nation. But if for it to be a, a mortal person, it's so short lived. I don't know. It's also like when the Bible tells us lean not on your own understanding which was my biggest gripe verse in the Bible for a long time. It really was. It's, and that, that's my pride. It, yeah. it really is. And it's hard to even say that out loud, but it's just, what do you mean lean out on my own understanding? That seems like a cop-out. Like, you just want me to blindly follow the scripture? Like, come on, man. Right. Like, like, I got to say, I want to understand. I want to know yeah. what's going on. I, you know, yeah. I just, like, don't try to pull a fast one on me. You know what I yeah. mean? I want to be a man of faith, but don't expect me to have faith. Faith? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, I have a lot of faith, but I want to understand it all. It's like, wait, if you understand it all, it's not faith. And the older I get, I'm only 39, but the older that I get, the more I'm just like, God I, has revealed so much wisdom to me. Well, it's not even that. It's just like, <laughs> I do know nothing. The more you learn, the realize, you realize how little you know. But the things that I do know, it's almost like overwhelming. It's like, sure. I think I liked it better when I understood a lot less. You know what I mean? Simpler. Yeah, it Life was. was simpler. Yeah, simpler yeah. times, you know? Yeah. Your ignorance is bliss. Yeah, so <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, we're looking for, we're looking to understand that on our level, on a tangible, real, physical level, but God is spirit. He says, I will pour out my spirit on these people. I'll pour out my spirit on the land. It's, he's, he's not going to do it with his might. He's going to do it with his spirit, he says in scripture, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like Jesus says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. I do, however, want to continue in Zechariah 9. We went from 9 to 10 with uh, Dave here, but I'm going to go into 11 as well. So this is Zechariah 9, 11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Well, when I think of the word pit in scripture, I think of the word sheol, right, in the Old Testament. Or I think of abyss, or I think of the place of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, a waterless pit. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like hell. The, the, New, the New Testament version of hell, or Tartarus, or whatever you want to call it, right? Hades, if you will. So, again, 9-11. As for um, you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This is literally more messianic um, writings in this scripture. 
what was the what was the covenant of the blood the blood of the lamb for passover the exchange when abraham was going to sacrifice um isaac and god provided a ram trapped in a thorn bush the crown of thorns on Jesus. I mean, the the Moses w- with the bird, right? The 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 sacrifice, the 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 spotless land. I mean, I could I could ramble on about this all day, and I'll, I'll have a smile on my face about it. Nine eleven is sitting. God saying, "I made a promise to you, and I don't break promises. So I'm gonna set you free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed." John eight three three, right? Yes. It's just beautiful. And to and to set the historical context, and I I know I reminded everybody last week, but. We are in the post-exilic period. So these are exiles. And as I said a little bit ago, from 11 to 17, where you started out, Johnny, 11 to 17, this is, this is God saying, yes, I had a covenant with you, and here's where he's restoring the actual people of Israel, the exiles, the people that have come back now, because we are in the post-exilic period. Oh, and that's another thing I love about Zechariah, too, is <clears throat> with Daniel, what happened with Daniel? Daniel was born and raised in, in uh, Jerusalem. And then he was exiled to where? Babylon, right? And then if you look at Zechariah, it's actually the complete opposite, right? He was, he was actually raised up in Babylon and then is part of this exilic period, right, where he, now he's being brought back into Jerusalem. So it's literally the complete opposite. Both of them apocalyptic literature, both of them going from alpha to omega, from A to Z, with their oracles, with their visions, mm-hmm. with this beautiful prophetic writing of Jesus, you know? <laughs> There was a, and this there is was why a, I come to this Bible study because I'm sm- I'm narrow minded. No, I, I need I need all the wisdom from all you, you guys. We're, we're glad to have you, Lenny. <laughs> no. We're glad to have you. Why don't you come back next week too? I will. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Chapter eight. I'm going to back up if I might. Chapter eight and verse sixteen and seventeen. I, I highlighted these. These are I, I love these verses. But this is what you must do: tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. Recognize these words, justness. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. So th- th- this is all that God requires. Remember that verse in Micah? We talked, I think Judah brought it up last week. This is all that God re- requires of the people. To, to speak truthfully to one another, to judge each other fairly, and to do no evil to one another. It's pretty simple, yeah. it seems. Yeah. Pretty simple. And then if we get that last sentence, I hate these things. I hate all these things, says yeah. the Lord. It's easier said than done. Because we, we've grown up in a world of lies. We've grown up in a world of injustice, or at least uh, we can call it injustice from a biblical standpoint. Well, at least we have Facebook now to, to fact check everything. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Factcheckers.org has determined that that is a lie. <laughs> I wish I had like a placard that could just like flip over. No, don't listen to him now. Self-appointed <laughs> fact checkers. We get yeah, little we screens on our usually chest. have a grotesque uh, conflict of interest because they're funded by whoever you know. But whatever. You, you say Sorry, it's difficult, right. Johnny. No, though I mean, it, it sh- shouldn't we? All all be trying to do these things? I mean, that's a rhetorical question because I'm hoping yeah. you all answer yes. Yeah. In, in, in trying hard or living our lives like that. I mean, it's, it, again, it is, it's simple to say. I know it's not easy to do. I get that, John. I, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that you keep hearing these words 
in different ways throughout the Bible. I, of course, Micah has the beautiful verse there, but, but here it is again to me. You know, be kind to each other, love one another, don't, don't scheme against you, don't lie to one each other, and mm-hmm. for, for God's sake or for God's will, treat each other fairly. Well, we can't yeah. do that. So, we we can't. We cannot. If there's anything that history shows us, the Bible shows us. So real world history and the Bible show us is that our sense of justice is warped. Our sense of justice is warped. Like like Judah was mentioning this before. We will kill our own babies for what? For this false sense of oh okay um, it's going to impede my life. Right. So. But but and will but will be against the death penalty for someone who is a known serial killer, serial rapist, murderer, whatever it may be, right? Where that person is not innocent compared to a ch- an unborn child. Sure. So it's so that's the kind of justice we have is that that's justice, a woman's right or 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 a person's right to do this. That's our sense of justice. So it's so hard for us because we are so far from God on our on our own. You know, Adam and Eve, uh, they ate the, the, uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they, they took it upon themselves now to decide what justice is, right. what right and wrong is. And that's where the problem lies. Is So although if you have God and you're close to God, he will illuminate the path that you should walk upon, mm-hmm. as narrow as it may be. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is going to tell you, well, that's not right. Why? Because they love the darkness. Because it says right there in the book, you love those lies. We love them. We don't love God. Any justice that is separated from the truth of God's word mm-hmm. is just subjective at best, because right. it's like yeah, like you're being way too kind. Yeah, I mean it's, it's like wrong if it's not yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean it's like right. like if you say well this is just, but you're just basing it on what on how you feel, like on what your your ideology is. I mean, I mean, I mean, how, how can you have justice without a sense of truth? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you have to have a standard of truth. You have to have that plumb line. You have to have that level that says, this is what truth is, and you're askew. That's just your truth. You're yeah, saying. yeah. Well, I know. I know. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you know what? To, to each their own. So, uh, you know, um, if it feels good, do it. And again, if it feels good, do it goes along. But I'm, I'm getting some thoughts as, as both of you are talking and God gave us free choice. We have free choice. He didn't take that away from us. YOLO, man. Yeah. You only yeah. live once. You only live once. YOLO. <laughs> we, have a, we have free choice. So, you only it, in my life, yeah. if, if we have free choice, <laughs> if we have free choice, we know what right or wrong is. We, we get to do that. And again, I understand, Johnny, it's not easy, and we don't do that and historically through the Bible, everywhere, but... Again, we have free choice to do what we want. Do we want to act fairly? Do we want to treat each other right? Do we want to seek justice? Do we want to be kind to each other? Do we want to love one another? Well, if we don't, then we're not following what Jesus said. Absolutely. It was, again, not easy, but it was simple. He said it. Love one another right. as you would so. yourself. Yeah, it's what, pretty simple. What, is, what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the gate. Right, no one comes to the Father except through me, like a gate through me. Right, yeah. so if we are gonna pursue justice, it has to be through God. Mm-hmm. It can't be on our own. If we're gonna love people, it has to be through God, literally through, like a gate. It has to be everything that we do has to be through God. Like you know, do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord. Right. So it's like that's the that's the key in Scripture. If you're reading your Bible and you haven't figured this out yet, 
is that everything needs to be done through God, no matter mm-hmm. what your decisions are. Right. It, uh, yeah. Right, people? Yeah. So, well, we, and, we, and how yeah. often do I even fail at that myself? We, we, we all do. We've talked about yeah. that before. And, and again, just this morning, I, I you know, I'm, I'm ha- and I was going to bring this up afterwards, but my daughter's having some you know, paying still, uh, you know, being over in Ireland. And, and I prayed, I prayed to God, I prayed to God. And it goes to what you're saying. I said, Lord, I said, if it's your will that she stays there, that she completes her degree, I'm leaving it in your hands. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we don't do. You're right, Johnny. And, and you said it about yourself, but I always say it about myself. Uh, we've said, somebody said this before in one of our meetings. We, we wait until we're halfway into the problem or we've already got the problem before, before we say, we start praying and we say, God, I'm in a mess here. But if we do that at the beginning, if we leave it in God's hands, and that's what I've done, I, I, I all, said, all I can do is pray. Yeah, cast your cares all, on the Lord, right? All I can do now is all pray. I can do, all is, all pray. Is, pray. I can do is pray. Yeah, there you go. So, well, let me let me show you how much of a Christian I'm not. Yesterday, we were praying for a situation, Judah. We were, you know, uh, it has to do with with church. There's a situation we're dealing with with one of our buildings, and it, it was just a tough situation. And Judah was like, "Well, let's pray for them." I was like, wait, what? <laughs> we're, 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 we're getting, like, we're literally getting served, like, the shorthand of the stick. We don't deserve this. Like, right? All that stuff, right? Um, I'm the, the, the jury. No, no, not doing that. Don't do that. And Judah's like, wait, well, we're, we're just going to, we're going to pray and leave it in God's hands. And what he see that needs to be done with it, I, I pray that through this situation, they get to know who Jesus is. I'm like, okay, fine, right? And then I got to pray. But I, I missed it. I missed it. And I think it's because it's a lack of maturity, right? And, and 16, right? It says uh, ver- in chapter 8, like what you said, um, Dave, chapter 8, verse 16, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Well, one, we don't. And then render verdicts in your courts. People stop. They show power and say, well, this is my court. So you're going to sit down. You're going to listen to what I'm going to say. And just, and so that, and, and, and lead to peace. No, my peace is higher than, so you're, you're raising your voice right now and you're not following me. It's my rules. It's what I say, or you can leave or I'm going to hold you in content. Immediately you are paralyzed, right? So th- like, man, like I would love all this, but then watch this. When I talk about maybe something that I'm going through personally, right? It says, tell the truth. You begin to tell the truth and then people start to get uncomfortable and then you get humiliated and then now you're made fun of, right? So there's certain little things that people start to get it's hard for them to progress their relationship with God, right? And, and it's hard to follow God's word. When, when, when you see it right here in front of you, you're like, God, I, I want to put it to practice, right? But I don't, I don't want to put in this much effort, right? But, but give me this and, and supply this and, and have peace here and judge fairly here, please, right? Well, the, the, the thing of it is, too, is, is keeping in mind, you know, and what, what you're talking about is... Uh, biblical reconciliation and, and you know i've done a lot of studying of that over the years and um you know went through a lot of training even for that because there's a whole uh kind of subset of i guess christianity and things like that where people instead of having lawsuits with each other instead they try to pursue biblical reconciliation and and you know the, these verses here kind of resound to that Starting uh, back in verse 12, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. You know, and I just think that's interesting, just this whole idea of planting seeds of, 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 of peace in us. And then back to what you said, render verdicts in your courts that are just. Maybe we can accomplish that mm-hmm. 
but the next part that are just and lead to peace, that's like a whole other issue because, you know, any judge in our country or our world could theoretically render verdicts that lead to justice being served. But how about leading to peace? And and the organization that that I was you know working through was this organization called like Peacemakers International. And one of their whole premises is that when you have these opposing parties come in and you're sitting in as a as a mediator or as a peacemaker, the goal is not just simply to render the accurate accurate verdict, but it's to bring a verdict that brings peace. Mm. And, and so that takes like a a careful touch yep. because I'm not just looking for what's right and wrong here. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for how do we get to the truth, but how do we do it in a way that brings peace and restores the relationship? And and even in our own lives, right? I mean, whether we're arguing with our spouse, whether we're we're um, overseeing a uh, dispute between our children or family members or employees or you know any of these things, like like we may step in and try to render a verdict. And, and this is the problem with our, our world as we see it now, is is everyone is rendering verdicts that simply support their own preconceived, you know, ideas and bias. But to actually go in and say, you know, okay, here's point A and point B. I'm not going to take a side. And, and I mean, I, I've been involved with these conversations and disputes that, you know, can get very, very um, uh, hairy at times. But to say, not just like, like what's right here, but how do we do this in a way that honors God? Mm-hmm. How do we do this in a way that, um, that brings peace to the relationship, that brings restoration to those that are involved? And, and even though, like, you know, th- there is a dispute, how can we do this in a God-honoring way? And, and all of us, we face disputes in life. And like you were mentioning the situation that we're going through. It's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I want truth to come out in that situation, but more than that, it's like we need to be seeking peace in that as well. 100%. How do we bring peace into the situation? Not just proving what's what's right. I mean, you know, th- there was a situation that uh, uh, my, my dad faced uh, many years ago when when their church was new and it was with the, the town. There was a um, a problem with the drainage under their property. And it was this old ancient, they called a box culvert, which was basically slabs of rock that water from the the storm drains would flow through. But they were just slabs of rock put together. So as you could imagine, when water would come through, it would erode soil and the soil would get washed away and it would cause these big sinkholes. Mm -hmm. And so it would cause these big sinkholes. So the town actually was suing the church because of this problem. Now, in the end, I mean, my my dad said, "Okay, you want to sue us? We're we're gonna we're gonna go to court and we're gonna fight this thing tooth and nail." And I mean, they fought it and and proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was not our responsibility. It was not something that even if we fixed the problem on our property, it would not do whatever. But and then in the end, they proved it. He's like, "Okay, we're good. We're not in the wrong. Okay, I'm gonna go fix the problem on our property." So he went and still fixed the problem. And, and people ask him, like, why did you spend all this time, energy, money to, to prove that you're in, in, in the right, but then you fix the problem anyway? And, and basically his thought process was, says, this culvert runs underneath all of our neighbors' you know, properties as well. And if they won this argument, they could go and file lawsuits against all of them as well. But 
I don't want to do that. I want to set the precedent that the landowner wasn't responsible, but we still wanted to be a good neighbor and a good influence on our town and fix the problem. And, and again, that, that's the idea of, okay, we want justice to come out, but we're, we're going to do it in a way that brings peace. And, and as a result, for the next decade in, in town, wow. all the, the, the higher-ups in the town always looked very honorably towards my dad and what they did because he did it in an honorable way. It wasn't just like, they, you know, they, they didn't like him at first because, you know, they were in court. But then after they saw what, what happened, they're like, wow, you know, this is honorable. And then they ended up fixing the problem somewhat. Um, but uh, but I think that's the, the goal is how do we pursue peace? Do we look to make peace? And all these things. Well, so, the, pro- the know, problem like, is yeah, do we- using the example you have with the building, not not all the parties involved in this type in those types of transactions are coming from a position of uh, Bible principle based negotiation. Right. If if they were, then we would achieve what you what Judas said, which would be peace in all of these transactions. But we're not. If I'm making a transaction with somebody, it might think a lot more now than I ever was in my life over the last 10, 15 years. And certainly this Bible study had a lot to do with it and and being with uh, people in Thrive Church. But normally you're thinking of, and the verse comes to my mind again, or that passage of storing things up on earth, treasures up on earth. You're thinking of as maybe the people you're dealing with, Lenny, in that building, and I'm not knocking them, I'm not condemning them, I'm not chastising them, but maybe they are not in that mode. They're not in that Bible principle-based mode, that, yeah. you know, that God-based mode. And, and what they're doing is operating from a different set of principles. And one of them might be treasures on earth. Okay, I need to get the best for me out of this no matter what. I don't care if there's peace or not. And and this is what's good for me to get, you know, to do this or whether to negotiate on a lease or whatever it may be. And, and as, as I listen to us talking here, I'm thinking, if we all operated, if we did all operate from Bible principle-based negotiation stance, there would always be peace. Right. Yeah. So the Judah did ask that question, how, right? How do you get to peace right. out of the being the mediator through Christ Jesus, through God's word, through the scriptures, through your Bible? That's the answer. It's so simple every single time to say it, but it's harder to do. All of our civic, social, political, all of our problems could be solved if everyone was reading the Word of God, the Bible, collectively. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize, he's saying, don't just disciple them. Get them to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And that is the new kingdom. He's announcing the good news. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, finding common ground with your fellow man. Um, I, I think it's, I don't know, Craig Rochelle may have come up with it or who knows who did. I mean, everybody steals everything from everybody, so maybe it wasn't him. But basically what he was talking about was in, in churches, you know, we need to focus on what we're for rather than what we're against. And And if you imagine the unity that would bring even in, Christian churches across our countries if we focused on the things that we're for and the things that we agree on mm. rather than on the things that we are um, against. And, and what, what's happening in our world is, is so, uh, uh, so polarizing um, 
that we're, we're not focusing on um, what we're for. We're focusing on what we're against. For example, I don't know if you guys saw the thing about uh, uh, Katie Couric. Um, and uh, she apparently wrote a memoir. And in that, she referenced a, an interview with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was I, what the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court justice. you know, justice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in that interview, she writes in her book, and she's talking about, I don't know, crafting a story, right? How she asked Ruth about um, all that was going on in sports with these athletes that would not stand for the national anthem. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg says, I think that's a disgrace that there ever would do that, that they would not stand. This is our country. You know, people have fought and died for this country, and they need to respect our country by standing for the national anthem. Now, think about that for a moment. This, this is a person who is, you know, on the, the left of the left. Ultra liberal. And, and she's saying this. So what did Katie Couric do? She edits that out for the TV interview. Mm. Because she said, I don't think that she really understood the implications of what she was saying and the patriarchy and That's blah, blah, divisive. blah, blah. Okay, so... So she's smarter than Ruth Gator. That's not the point that I'm making. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is this. Had she aired that, there's many people on the left that would have said, oh, you know what? You're right. We can all unite around one thing. Yeah. You know, we, we've got all these divisive... But there was you an know opportunity what? that was... We made. should stand for the national... You know, I mean... Right. And, and again, mm -hmm. I'm not here to speak for or against whatever. Like, that, that's not my, my, my thing here. The point is saying is that even with all the political unrest, mm. if they would, instead of focusing on what divides, instead focus on what unites, mm -hmm. which is what our country... Sure. mostly did for for you know decades uh, prior to say well you know we have some ancillary issues that we're going to focus on but at the end of the day we're all patriotic we all love this country we all want to protect our country you know there's certain principles that we're all going to hold true had this aired it could have brought some unity perhaps mm. into the that makes, into the conversation. that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense that it would bring unity what doesn't make sense is why she would do it but then if you continue down the logical and reasonable line of thinking, it makes perfect sense because the people that sign her checks have an agenda. They're not operating from Biblical Bible pr principles, yeah, as right. I said before. Yeah. As soon as Judas is saying that, I'm saying, and neither was Katie Couric. Yes, her the people that sign her checks aren't, but she's not either because mm. she outright was a charlatan in that case then. Right. She lied. That was false. I, I, if I could for a moment, though, you were talking about you know, we were talking about being, you know, I said Bible principles, and you were talking about, yeah, everybody reading the Bible, if we can only just do that. And you've said that before. I don't know if anybody ever uh, got a hold of or read Haley's Bible handbook. It's yeah, not the everything you wanted to know about the Bible, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, that, that there. Are, but uh, I... Speaking of what you had just said, a little said, less John, reputable than his book. Yeah, 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 just yeah. a little bit more than that. But do they sell this at the IGN? <laughs> <laughs> it's, right up, it's, it's one of the end of the aisle specials. Ben. As you're checking out, you can right pull next it. To the, the Bible for idiots. <laughs> and, and, and right next to the the National Enquirer and the. <laughs> Anyway, if I may read, I just wanted to read this. Uh, it's a line. It's a couple of quotes from that from there that I I, I took out of it. Talking about the Bible, this handbook is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoter reader of the Bible. And the 
primary business of church and ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage their people in this habit. All right, one more. I mean, I, I thought that was so beautiful. I, I looked at it as I see it. Yeah. So that's what that whole um, Haley's Handbook is about. The vigor of our spiritual life, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Yeah. I mean, amen. I, I thought, amen, right? I mean, I, so I looked at it, I go, oh my God, this is so succinct. And it's basically what you're saying, Johnny, about people reading the Bible. There it is. I, I said, oh, that is that is fantastic. Puts it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, so just, just to bring this up, I consider myself an evangelist <clears throat> because of the way I, 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 I have this supernatural gift endowed to me from God, from the Holy Spirit, that... I don't have the words. I'm a high school dropout. I'm not. A, I'm not a smart guy, right? But sometimes when I'm alone with a person, I'm able with, from my heart, with passion through the Holy Spirit, able to con- convey the truth and the light of Scripture and who Jesus is and who we are as humans and and what the, what God's Word tells us about humanity and where we're going and all these beautiful things. It just flows out of me, and there is the fruit of the Spirit there because I've seen these people who've never been to church before or used to go to church step foot into Thrive or go to an, another one of their friends' biblical churches or a Bible study. So I know, I, I see the evidence there. But this is why it's so important. It seems like today's uh, podcast is talking about how do we get to peace through biblical principles? How do we get people to read the Bible? How do we get people to think biblically? And this is why evangelism is so important. Even if you don't consider yourself an evangelist, just have a conversation about what God is doing in your life. Give a testimony. Scripture says that we'll defeat the devil through our testimonies, right? right? Yeah. So through your convictions, through what God is doing for your friends, your family, through your church, whatever it may be, just sharing that hope, that light in, in a dark world. There's so much power behind us communicating that we do believe in what our faith is like evangelism is 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 the key in this situation. How do you get people who are ungodly to get to know who God is so that they can trust him? I say this all the time. God has been training me to trust him because I have horrible trust issues. Yeah, and the more too. I trust God, the more he illuminates to me. And the more love I have for my fellow man. Just like what's happening in, um, in Lenny's situation, I'm praying for people who persecute me. I'm praying for my enemies. Where if you go back before I was a believer, before I was saved... Not only would I have been cursing him up and down, right? But I might have even done something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's going, it, the old things are dead and gone, and you're made a new creation in Christ, Scriptures teaches us, right? So important it, it is to invite somebody to church, to invite somebody to hear your testimony, to invite somebody to a Bible study. Even if you just say, like I say it all the time, as iron sharpens iron, so one person will sharpen another from Proverbs. And people are like, oh, that's good. I like that. I'm like, it ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's called the book of Proverbs. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a book all about Proverbs that's in the Bible. And they're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, if you only read it, it's got all these great little zinger one-liners about, and you're like, wow, I wish somebody would have taught me that. So I said, hey, if you ever want, here's a Bible. If you want to you get through Proverbs, I'm like, just, you know, you want something to read, you're bored, maybe you want to relax before bed, start in Proverbs. It's a great place to start. And next thing you know, you'll be a Bible, a Bible reader. And I said, you know, the sooner you start believing this stuff, the sooner I'm going to be able to call you a Christian. You know what I mean? Because you're going to be a Bible-believing person. It's a, it's a good place to start, but really any place is a good place to start in the Bible just for anybody who, wants, who hasn't read the Bible in a while or who has never read it. Just pick it up, set it down, let it open to anywhere, and read. But my recommendations is either Proverbs or Luke, just to be clear. Those are great places for non-believers to start. 
And if you're already a believer and you, you want to grow your faith, start in John in the New Testament. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and tie things up uh, for today. Uh, let's continue on. I, we, I think we barely scratched the surface mm. in this. I mean, there's so much uh, to unpack here. We didn't even get past nine. No. Um, we got to ten a little bit. Yeah. I don't even know if we fully dug no, into we didn't either. No, we didn't hit ten, but so, I got some things uh, Let's Let's keep going here. Continue reading Zechariah 8 through 14 this coming week, and we'll pick back up and continue talking about it. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.